Rorschach's Journal, October 12th, 1985. Dog carcass in alley this morning. Tire tread on burst stomach. This city's afraid of me. I've seen its true face. The streets are extended gutters, and the gutters are full of blood. And when the drains finally scab over, all the vermin will drown. The accumulated filth of all their sex and murder will foam up around their waists. And all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, Save us. And I'll whisper, No. Popheads and welcome to issue 46 of the Tomcast Popcast, aka Popcast, proud member of the 3DZ Network. My name is Tom, and judging by the sound of my voice, it's been a very, very long weekend. I apologize for uh, the way I sound today. A bit of a mixture of being slightly under the weather and a uh, chaotic weekend. I uh, started off on Friday night with uh, Evil Dead the Musical, and then uh, on Saturday, me and the me and the gang from from Beer Night in San Diego went out to the Carl Strauss Collabapalooza event, uh, and by the end of that event, uh, my voice was completely gone and completely shot. Today being Monday, the day I'm recording, it is back slightly, but it is still not great. Um, but I felt it was important to do an episode today, so I'm going to try and kind of not grind your ears off with my vocal stylings today. So I'm going to try and be a little bit more subdued, a little bit more calmer speaking. But first, you can please show your love and support for this awesome small independent podcast by following us on social media at TomCast underscore PopCast on Twitter and at the TomCast underscore PopCast on Instagram. Remember, this is the pop culture podcast that knows who watches The Watchmen, and it's us because it's a brand new series that debuted on Sunday Night on HBO, Watchmen. I am here solo, um, but there's a reason for that. Um, what we're going to talk about, because today is a special episode of the show, um, Roger wasn't going to be able to participate on because we're here to talk about the new HBO series Watchmen and the debut episode, episode one, uh, which debuted or which, which aired on Sunday night and is now available on HBO on demand and all the streaming services uh, that HBO offers for you guys to check out and watch. And uh, I felt it was important to, to cover the show because it is kind of, I mean, Watchmen is the reason why we are, why most of us are here. Why most of us are interested in, comic books and pop culture, and we recognize the significance of the Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons graphic novel, or 12-issue maxi-series at the time, that sort of uh, deconstructed the superhero genre and and uh, proved that comic books were more than just uh, things for kids and stuff like that. It's, uh, you know, um, I, I've, I've talked about it on the show in the past. Uh, I can't. I cannot recommend the reading of the of the graphic novel highly enough for anyone who hasn't done it. It is a seminal piece of literature. Uh, fantastic story by Alan Moore. Beautiful art by David Gibbons, and um, it has been adapted as a film before previously uh, by Zack Snyder. And whether you enjoyed that sh- that movie or not, um, 
definitely give the graphic novel a shot. I mean, my goodness, it's just so good. But I wanted to talk about the, the HBO show. And now, for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, I do recommend watching the show highly. Let's get that out of the way right off the bat. The first episode, I think, is really, 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 really good. Um, I mean, it is... I, again, I'm, I'm going to say it's just really good. I don't want... What I'm going to try and do is not get too spoilerific. So if you haven't seen it yet um, and you want a little push... I'm going to try and provide that push without necessarily giving away too many plot points and too many details. There will be some plot things that I talk about. So if you if you want to go into the show completely unknowing of anything going on in it, uh, by all means, pause the podcast, pause the podcast, come back to it after you've watched the show, and 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 then listen to the discussion and see what you think for yourself. Um, but we are going to get into a few things because I think there are a few things that need to be talked about and 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 uh, sort of sort of discussed because this show is bold, very right off the bat. I mean, it is bold, and um, I think that's a good thing for the show because uh, a show like Watchmen needs to be bold and it needs to talk about things that maybe people don't want to talk about that maybe make people a little bit uncomfortable, and. Um, I'm not going to get into anything that maybe hasn't already been seen. If you've seen the trailers, I don't think we're going to dive into too much outside of what you've seen from the trailers. Um, except for one, the opening scene of the of the show, which I will talk about because uh, it completely it completely floored me. It completely took my breath away. So we are going to talk about that. But for the most part, I'm not going to ruin anything. Okay, so judge for yourself. If you want, if you want to go to the show, not knowing anything, pause the show. Come back after you've watched it. If you're okay with with hearing a little bit of the of of some of the the opening sequence and uh, some of the stuff that's been kind of shown and highlighted in the trailers already, if that's something you're familiar with, then stick around. I think we're gonna have a fun little show today. All right, so gear up as we break down episode one of Watchmen. Episode one is titled "It's Summer and We're Running Out of Ice." The show was uh, written and, and developed for television by Damon Lindelof. And episode one is directed by Nicole Castle. It also bears mentioning that uh, we open this episode with the Rorschach journal from the opening of the Watchmen film and from the, the, the sound clips from the film, obviously, but it is taken directly from the Alan Moore, David Gibbons graphic novel. Um, it's important to include that clip, and I will get to why that is a little bit later. But I, I, I want to talk about the, the opening sequence of the first episode, which is... Uh, set in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921. And it is during what is referred to as the Tulsa Race Massacre of 1921. Now, I will be perfectly and embarrassingly and ashamedly honest with you. I was completely unaware of this event in history. This is not something that was taught to me in school. As the sequence played out, I, I paused the TVs and hit, hit the Google machine up because it... It seemed so real, but so outlandish at the same time. I mean, it was the the the, the racial violence depicted in in this was of a level of something I had, I don't think I had ever comprehended before. I mean, there is a a, a biplane circling this area of Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, known as Greenwood, and shooting black Americans from the sky and killing them. And I it it it. 
it, it was ghastly. It was horrid. Um, and to find out that it is a real thing and that it was even more, and like I said, embarrassingly so, something that I was unaware of in American history was um, I was uh, embarrassed and, and disgusted by the American education system. And you can do a deep dive on, on the hows and whys of, of when this started being taught in school, but if you're roughly my age group, it's, it's a very good possibility that you maybe, maybe you weren't aware of these, this, this event, this dark event, this, this, this horrible tragedy in, in American history. Again, it's a, it's a dark thing, and to find out it was real, uh, it, it, immensely, it, it immediately gave the show a gravity that I don't think I was quite prepared for it to have. The trailers ind- hinted, indicated, strongly suggested that, that racial issues would be at the forefront of the show, and I was excited by that. But to get punched in the throat with it right off the bat, um, my attention was immediately captured. I was glued to the scene, glued to the screen from that moment forward. Um, it, it, it was, uh, directed and, and shown on the screen in a way that like, it wasn't over the top violence in the, in the sense that like it was cartoony or phony or anything like that. Like I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then again, like I said, as I researched and found out this was real, I was even more, um, just shocked by, by what was, what was happening. And, um, again, it, it, it's. Watchmen came out at a time when the world was on the verge of blowing itself up, and now you could you could, you could very easily say that America is on the verge of imploding right now. Like we are at each you know in a lot of senses, Americans are at each other's throats, R- racially, culturally, uh, economically, and I t- talk about a strong way to get attention and to get people to pay attention to your show by talking about things that are real and kicking it off a a show that is based on a comic book that just deconstructed superheroes. Looks like it's going to be a show that's now going to deconstruct, um, you know, the roots of racism or, or, or yeah, I, I don't want to speculate. I've only seen the first episode. Unlike a lot of professional critics who've seen the first six, I've only gotten to see the first one and I had to wait for it to air. Um, but it looks like it's going to tackle some heady, heady topics. And I think that is, uh, I think that bodes well for the run of the series because, um, despite it being capes and cowls and, and superheroes and stuff like that, Watchmen's always been very grounded. It has always been extremely grounded in reality and realism. And, you know, remember, the superheroes of Watchmen from the film, with the exception of Dr. Manhattan, none of them are fantastical. None of them um, do anything that you and I couldn't do if we were, you know, well-trained or, or insanely rich to, to build these gadgets ourselves. So, um... It's important to keep that in mind with the show. The, the tone is set immediately, right from the get-go. And um, it sets a very strong, strong message that, hey, this is going to be a show you need to pay attention to. This is not going to be a show where you want to go in the kitchen and uh, start baking cookies. You want to pay attention because uh, the show's going to get real, and it's going to make you... And I'm, you know, as a white male, I'm assuming there's going to be parts where it's uncomfortable. And I'm okay with that because... Uh, white people need to feel more uncomfortable because uh, we've done bad, bad things in the in the history of this country, in this history of the world, and uh, yeah, get ready, get ready to buckle up, okay? Get ready to get uncomfortable. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. I did want to mention some of the, the, the some of the uh, kind of a brief summary of the Tulsa race massacre of 1921. Um, it occurred over an 18-hour period of May 31st to June 1st of 1921, where an estimated 300 Black Americans 
were murdered by white supremacists in the Greenwood area of Tulsa, also known as the Black Wall Street because it was a very successful affluent area for the black Americans who live there. Uh, it has been called the single worst incident of racial violence in U.S. history. And again, embarrassed um, and, and uh, kind of ashamed that I, it was something I was completely unaware of until watching a show on HBO, a fictional superhero show on HBO. So as the show really begins, we move from 1921 to, to, to present day, to uh, 2019. Uh, it's important to remember that we are in the fictional world of the Watchmen universe at this point. The events of the comic book happened. They happened in 1985. And the show is based off of the comic book. Okay, so the comic book ended one way, and the Zack Snyder film ended in a different way. That was probably the biggest controversy of the Zack Snyder film, is the ending was changed to something less comic book-y, I suppose is the best way to put it. In the comic book, in, in the comic book ending... Um, Without getting too specific, there's a kind of a faux alien invasion that happens, and it 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 diverts the superpowers of 1985 from uh, nuclear from destroying each other with new tactical nuclear weapons. We fast forward to we're still in that world, but thing it's it's a world similar to ours. It looks like ours. A lot of things are are kind of in line with ours, but it's a world that uh, you know. Uh, in this 2019, Robert Redford's the president. He's been the president for 30 years. So there's a 30-year uh, a run of, of liberalism running through the country that apparently has alienated many folks on the right side. Now, in the comic books, it was Richard Nixon who had this unprecedented 30-year reign as, uh, as the president of the United States. And so uh, this is kind of a contrast from that. We, it's also a world that has no internet, that has uh, no smartphones. It is a world... Uh, where a lot of things are outlawed. Like, uh, I believe there's a... Um, in the past, you see people smoking cigarettes, but in the modern times, nobody's smoking anymore. And if they are, if, if they are, it's like kind of like under the, under the radar, very discreet, and they're like, hey, hey, someone's coming and throw that out. It's, it's, it's a world that echoes ours, but is different from ours. And it's, it's a world where, um, like I said, things are a bit more controlled, less free. You know, like I said, no internet, no smartphones. These are devices that we've all come to rely on in our modern times. But they don't exist in this world, so that's going to be kind of a that's going to be kind of different for 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 us to see. Not everything to be able to be solved with a um, Google search, I guess. I mean, that's how I solve most of my problems. The show kicks off. It's it, there's a lot of world building in episode one. You know, we're jumping into a world where if you read the comics, you're familiar with it. If you've seen the movies, you're you're vaguely familiar with it. But it's very different. I don't I don't think you necessarily need to have seen or read the comic or or watched the movie. I should say. Uh, to to jump into the show and to start to kind of uh, get your teeth around this world, there are plenty of Easter eggs for the fans who have read the books and watched the film. But again, I don't I don't I don't think it's hundred percent necessary to have seen that because it is, you know, far enough removed from the time period uh, where you don't need to know those events because the show starts on a smaller scope, and I was assuming much like the Watchmen comic, it will get grander and grander and bigger and bigger as we start to expand from the center point in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the modern story starts as well. And it starts with, um, we saw it in the trailers. You know, this is a world of masks, but not in the sense of superhero masks. Uh, there was an incident in, they've only, they only reference it, it's called The White Knight, 
and it was an incident in which a white supremacy group called the Seventh Cavalry, who was inspired by the Journal of Rorschach, which is that bit that we played in the beginning of the episode, uh, they've sort of taken Rorschach's journal and his his um, I don't want to say musings, uh, but but his sort of uh, his inner thoughts and uh, spun them in a way to to help power their their racist agenda. And he's kind of Rorschach's uh, legacy has been twisted and corrupted by these white supremacists who are taking his message and turning it on its head for their agenda. And uh, it's interesting. Dave Gibbons came out recently and spoke on the record, saying how he thought that was, you know, a very a very realistic scenario. That um, you know, it's very easy for someone's legacy to become twisted and corrupted by people who uh, see it as serving their own purpose. And uh, so I, I think it's an interesting take on the Rorschach legacy being just completely corrupted. You know, there's the show. The show hasn't come out and said it. I know Lindelof has come out and said it. Whereas, like, listen, he's not saying Lindelof himself, as the developer of the show and the writer of the show, is not trying to come out and say Rorschach was a racist. Rorschach has some extreme philosophies for sure, but these people are taking those philosophies and and, and bending them to their agenda. Um, so at this white at this white night event, this is when the Seventh Cavalry members. Uh, went to the homes of the Tulsa, Oklahoma Police Department and, and basically committed a a execution slash massacre of the Tulsa, Oklahoma Police Department. In response to this, now, again, as I mentioned, the 7th Cavalry, inspired by Rorschach, they wear, they wear, they wear Rorschach-esque masks, you know, a white, white ski caps, basically, um, with black spray painted on them to kind of re- to kind of recreate the Rorschach ink blot tests that, that Rorschach had on his mask. In response to this, the Tulsa Oklahoma Police Department adopted a new law where they are able to mask their faces to protect their identities, to protect their families. And so you have two sets of masked people, heroes and villains, much like you would superheroes and supervillains. But again, this is a real scale. This is police with masks. This is villains with masks. And the detectives of the Tulsa, Oklahoma Police Department have adopted uh, basically alter egos like a superhero would. Um, Regina King, who is the series lead and is absolutely fantastic in this first episode, uh, plays Angela Abar, and her superhero alias is Sister Knight. And she's basic, her costume is basically, you've seen it on the trailers, she's kind of like a, a scary nun who punches people in the face a lot and whips ass serious ass she's great and then you've also seen this one in the trailer too played by tim blake nelson is a he's a character he's a he's another detective his alias is looking glass because his mask is like a mirror it's pretty cool looking and they do a really great interrogation scene um on one of the seventh cavalry members where they're in this pod that has 360 projections around it and the way the images bounce off of his mask give him Kind of, he's able to kind of intuit what uh, and read the responses of the person he's interrogating in the in the pod. It's a really fantastic scene, and uh, Tim Blake Nelson crushes this. Uh, I think he's gonna be a really interesting character going forward. We don't get a lot with him in this first episode, but what we get is pretty awesome, and uh, I look forward to seeing what they do with that character down the road. Also, you saw in the trailers, Don Johnson is in the show. He plays 
uh, Judd Crawford, who is the chief of police for Chelsea, Oklahoma. And um, it's really, he, I think he's a really strong presence in this first episode for sure. Lots of cool stuff coming out of him. Um, again, there is, there's a ton of world building in this episode. Um, like I said, you, they mention the white knight and, and why the police now wear masks, but we don't see the white knight. We don't know how that came to be, how it came to pass. I suspect that will be something that we get to. Um, but it's important to realize that the world is, is, is different because of it. It's also interesting to see, and you see this, uh, fairly early in the show too, uh, police aren't armed in the same way they are nowadays. Police can't just walk around with, with guns on their holsters. Their guns are in their, in their vehicles and they are locked in place and you have to radio to the police headquarters for your weapon to be unlocked so that you can have it if you are feeling threatened, which is a, a very interesting, um, approach to, to dealing with, you know, the, the potential of police violence against order, ordinary citizens, you know, unwarranted acts of violence by police in that particular instance. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see if they dive into that a little bit more as well. A lot of interesting things in there. And, um, gosh, uh, the show starts out with a, with a confrontation between the seventh cavalry and the, and the police kind of kicking off a new round of hostilities between the two that brings in, uh, Regina King's character, Angela, uh, gets her in the mix, gets Don Johnson's character in the mix. And this is the seventh cavalry is up to no good. They're, they're plotting something. We see, we see some good action, some good shootouts. Um, but we don't, again, it's, it's a Lindelof show. The guy who did Lost, the guy who did Leftovers. So there's a lot of mysteries here. There's a lot of world building in this first episode, but it's an extremely strong first episode. And the mysteries, um, they're the, they're the kind that get your attention and keep you keep you coming back to watch episode after episode. Lindelof is also on the record saying that uh, the show is designed to be a season long, so we should get answers to questions uh, fairly quickly. As opposed to um, dragging things out over four or five seasons and, and and not knowing the answer to things for you know really extended periods of time, um, I would I would suspect there'll be more seasons of Watchmen, but I don't know for sure. Uh, you know, maybe this is a one-off program. Maybe it is just a giant maxi series like the comic book was. Lindelof also on the record is saying what a big fan he is of the original series by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, how it's influenced almost everything he's ever done. Actually, I think he said it has influenced every single thing he's done. So I, I believe the show to be in good hands. And after watching this first episode, um, I can say that uh, most assuredly that it's in good hands. Like I said, the, the subtle little nods to to the comic book, uh, the little Easter eggs that are in place, um, there are little touches that that a, a fan, of, uh, not just a fan, but also someone who reveres the material. Uh, you know, he considers these things. He takes them. Uh, very serious, seriously, and uh, it's it shows. I think, and that's good. That's good news for the length of this series' run. One of the interesting aspects of this story is, um, or what, uh, of the world building, I should say, is uh, it, it seems to be as a consequence of the plan of the original series with the the alien invasion. Is that there, there are occasional incursions from alternate dimensions of uh, squid that rain from the sky. Again, something I'm hoping they'll dive a little bit more into, but it kind of blends into this 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 theory because, again, I, I don't necessarily want to like go backwards and 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 unveil a lot of the stuff from the, the original Watchmen comic, um, 
but there's a lot of fuel for conspiracy theorists in 2019 that that are that are given that are provided by the end of the graphic novel. So they they, they you know again it, it may play strangely to people who aren't familiar with the material, but I think you're going to get an answer eventually. I also think that if you're a fan of that material, it's going to it's going to be one of those kind of things that just enriches the world for you in a different way. You're going to be like, "Oh man, I get that. I know what that's a reference to." And uh it's a, it's a, again a nice touch by the by the creators and the writers of the show. Now, perhaps the biggest throwback to the comic books and to the original series is Jeremy Irons' character, who is, it would appear is playing Adrian Veidt, who is the mastermind of the events of the original Watchmen series. Which I suppose, if you haven't read it or watched the film, I guess that's a spoiler for you. But uh, it came out in '85. If you haven't checked it out by now, I don't know what to tell you. Um, there's a lot of mystery kind of surrounding his character, though. He's, you know, we assume he's the Adrian Veep, but also Ozymandias. But is he really? We're not quite sure. There's, there, again, the, the, the creative team behind him have, have kind of been vague when they talk about, like, what Jeremy Irons' character really is there to do, what he's up to. Um, he exists in such a way that, uh, Further enriches the world to the comics, further links the world to the comic book, but also, again, knowing the material, you know that Adrian is a planner, and 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 uh, you know he, it may be time for the the next Adrian Veet plan to kick off, and it seems like if it's going to kick off, it looks like it's going to be centered in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which happens to be where our show is taking place. Isn't that grand? The scenes with Jeremy Irons. Uh, with him as as Adrian um, are very strange. They're very unique. Uh, it seems like he is uh, still kind of tinkering with science. He has uh, some servants who are um, slightly off, but uh, as we know from the movie, from the comics, Adrian not a, not a stranger to messing around with genetic testing to experimenting with creating life in new ways, and perhaps that's what he's done here. Not quite sure. We also get the presence of Dr. Manhattan, but in a very um, passive way. We just kind of see a satellite image of him kind of still tooling around on Mars, playing with, you know, building uh, buildings and sandcastles and just knocking them down and, and stuff like that. Like, we're not quite sure. He's, he's kind of like this weird looming presence. And if the trailers are, indica- or if the trailers are indi- indication, uh, it does appear that Dr. Manhattan will return to Earth at some point. Um, whether this is of his own volition, if this is uh, a part of Adrian Veidt's plan, Ozymandias' plan, uh, to be determined. We don't know just yet what's going on there. Uh, again, world building, you know, lacing in the mysteries, the things that are going to want to draw you back week after week. They do a really, really good job of that with this episode. Again, not to get into the spoilers. We're not gonna, I'm not going to break down the things that you maybe haven't seen yet because maybe you haven't watched it maybe you're not convinced. So I want to I want to give you a little nudge. I want to give you that assurance that it's an hour well worth your time. I think you will enjoy the show. So I'm not going to get into it too much uh, as far as like this happens and that happens and let's talk about this scene here. We're not going to do that. It's a strong episode. I want you guys to watch it. I want you to check it out. Another thing I wanted to, I made a note of, um, I was insanely impressed by the score of the film. The score, you say, well, why why is that so impressive? It sets a the score used the the, the music that was chosen. Uh, 
it sets an incredible tone for the show. It kind of drives certain scenes. It sets the pace for certain scenes. It, uh, the tone for certain scenes. And uh, I was uh, excited and kind of like excited and impressed to find out that the, the score for the series is uh, written and composed by Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails and Atticus Ross. And they're going to be actually releasing the Watchmen soundtrack uh, as a big anthology album, I think, uh, probably towards the end of the year. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get a date on that. I apologize. Um, so when you're listening to the show, listen to that music and be like, oh, yeah. That does kind of sound like Trent Reznor-ish. So, um, again, this is a great episode. The show's off to a really, really strong start, and I was, I, I, I was hooked instantly. You know, uh, there was a lot of people, you know, they don't want to necessarily watch the show. They didn't want to watch the film either because Alan Moore is um, on the record you know, saying he does not support these things. He does not believe uh, they should exist. And um, I'll be honest, Alan Moore is 100% entitled to his opinion. And I, in, in a lot of ways, Alan Moore's probably correct. Uh, do I think Alan Moore got screwed over in 1985 by, by DC Comics? Um, that he did not get to own his creation and his characters? Yeah, I 100% do. I do agree with that. Um, but Alan Moore's also come out and said a lot of other things that have pissed me off over the years, too. So... Um, I, I, again, I, I know where he's coming from, I understand, but at the same time, he wasn't the sole creator of the show. Dave Gibbons is involved in the show. He seems happy with what's, hap- with, with, with what's occurring. Um, I've had a chance to, to meet Dave Gibbons uh, once very briefly. Uh, he's a lovely, lovely man, very, very nice. And um, knowing that he's associated with the, with the show um, makes me feel good. I know that uh, Lindelof has talked in, in previous interviews how he reached out to Alan Moore countless times to, to try and talk to him and, and share with, with Alan uh, his vision for the show and what he hoped to accomplish with it. Um, Alan had no interest. And that, again, that's his right. That's his prerogative. You know, Alan feels like he was wronged by DC and Warner and by DC Comics, and I, I can't disagree that he, that he wasn't. Um, I very much think he and Dave Gibbons should own those characters. Um, unfortunately, I don't, I don't make the rules. I don't make, I, I, you know... Unfortunately, comic creators have been getting screwed over the over the characters they've created for a long, long time, um, and I, I guess I, I guess I'm just electing to let my my love of the material, my love of Dave Gibbons, my love of and that my love of Lindelof. I think Lindelof's a really talented creator too. So I wanted to see his take on on this universe and what he would do with it. And it seems like at this at this point so far, one episode in, it seems like a worthy. Uh, sequel slash companion piece to the world, to the characters that 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 Gibbons and Moore created. Um, it, it you know it bums me out that Alan's never going to check it out. But again, his prerogative. I understand where he's coming from. I don't begrudge him that right at all. I mean, if, if you guys have probably seen the films of the movies that he, ha- uh, you know, if you watch League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you understand why Alan Moore probably doesn't want to deal with Hollywood either. They just take his stuff and ruin the fuck out of it. But at least he owns those... Well, no, he doesn't own those characters. I guess the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen technically is like, uh, you know, public domain. They're all fictionalized characters that have been around for 200 years. Again, I, let's not go down that road. Let's not. Alan, Alan's right in his way, and I think if uh, fans who love the material want to check this out, you're not going to be disappointed. You're, you really won't. I think this is a really strong show, and it's really well done, really well written. 
The performances are excellent. Uh, Don Johnson uh, was... Uh, I, I was surprised how much I enjoyed Don Johnson in the show. I don't know... I'm not a big Don Johnson fan. I, wasn't, I didn't grow up on Miami Vice. I, uh, I missed that era. I didn't watch Nash Bridges either. So I don't know Don. You know, he's been in a few movies that I like. But uh, to see him in this, it was a... Uh, it was a really nice performance, but the show is, is hands down Regina King's. She steals it. She owns it. She is top-notch fantastic, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Tim Blake Nelson does. Next week, I think we're going to be introducing some more characters. Some more actors are coming onto the show. We'll talk about them when they get here. Um, I'm hoping to be able to do a, a weekly Watchmen update per, through the podcast uh, as the season plays out, and hopefully uh, next week I will sound a lot better. Um, You've made it this far with this with this voice, so I'm, I'm going to wrap it up now. And uh, uh, thank you guys for listening to me do this special breakdown of episode one of Watchmen. Again, titled "It's Summer and We're Running Out of Ice," written by Damon Lindelof and directed by Nicole Castle. Check this show out; you're going to love it. Uh, and if you had a chance and you love this show, uh, please support us by following along on social media at TomCast underscore Popcast on Twitter at the TomCast underscore PopCast on Instagram. And uh, feel free to run over to, to Patreon and, and check us out on, on patreon.com slash TomCastPopCast and join Pophead Nation. What do you think? Would that be all right? Would you guys be up for that? I don't know. You don't have to. The show's going to be here. It's going to be free forever and ever and ever, as long as I'm here, as long as I'm alive, which, judging by the way I sound, may not be that long, but for now, I'm alive, and the show's free. And with that... I think we're going to have to wrap it up, folks. So thanks for, for joining me today. Um, go watch Watchmen. Watch Watchmen. Watch Watchmen. Okay, ciao, babes. Hey, you're pretty famous, right? <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm pretty famous, too. Ain't that right? That's right. You know, maybe I can give you an autograph, huh? What you say, big boy? You're locked in here with me. We're not gonna be fucking sunk this year. We're the Stanley Cup champions.